Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. So we're going to talk about Shemitah. Shemitah is a construct that Yovel also then follows where we work our land for a certain amount of time and then we let it rest. So the question that I have for all of you before I show you the, the sources that I have, because as soon as I show you the sources, no one listens to me anymore, they just read. What, what is something in your life or something that you've experienced that you work for a period of time and then you just let it be and then you come back to it and see that there has been growth? So you work it for a period of time, you leave it alone, and then you come back to it, and whether that growth is in you or in the product, what's something that you've experienced that's worked that way in your life? Uh, yeah, right. Teaching about mitzvah students. Okay, teaching about mitzvah students. So what's the, what's the work and what's the leaving alone? Giving her all the materials and recordings and stuff and saying, join this. Okay. Okay, so giving someone materials to be able to learn something alone, then leaving them for a period of time to do that work on their own and coming back and seeing that they've done that work. All right? Uh, creative process. So like if you're working on a creative project, you work at it and then give it a wall and then you stop for a while and when you return to it usually. Great. So sometimes if you're working on a book or some kind of creative process like a piece of art, sometimes you work at it so much that you then get to a place where you're like, I can't, I can't do any more to this, right? I often find that with my high holiday sermons, that all of a sudden I'm like, what am I saying? <laughs> right? I've, I've worked on this so much that I get to a point where I'm typing, but I'm not sure that the typing is working with my brain, and so I stop and I put it aside, and I let the thoughts, or not the thoughts, ruminate within me, and then when I come back to it, something within me has grown, or I read what I've written differently, and then I have something else to put into it. So Ari, Ari was mentioning that any kind of creative process sometimes has that kind of, um, of cycle. Yeah, huh? Okay, this is something we do all the time, cooking. Cooking, great. Explain, explain the cook, I, that was my example also. Ex Okay. Great. Great. Wonderful. So there, in cooking, there is a process, right? You, you hear the, um, the phrase, a watch pot never boils, right? Sometimes you prepare something and then you don't fuss with it. You have to let it be and then you come back to it and the, the flavors hopefully have bloomed, right? If it's something that is rising, if like a challah or any kind of bread that is rising, it has hopefully risen and then you come back to work it, right? When you, when you think about chalent, right, of the food that some some of you might enjoy later, Rabbi Klickfeld's favorite food on probably the planet. Um, when you, you put it all together in a pot and then you let it sit for hours, right? And if you don't let it sit for hours, it's actually not very good. So you have to let it sit. You have to let it do its own thing. Ayla. Great. Okay. So Ayla's talking about the process of painting something that you actually cannot continue to work in until it has dried and then you can potentially add layers to it or just be done with it. But it actually has to go through a process of being left alone so that it can mature. Okay. So now, oh yeah, Barney, go ahead. I just say planting a garden, although you do have to work it, but sometimes you just leave it alone and 
Great, so that's gonna be exactly what we're talking about, a very good transition. The idea of working with plants, right, that you, that you have to prepare a garden, whether it's because of the soil or because of the, um, ambiance isn't the right word, like where you're gonna place certain things, right, depending on the sun and the shade and the heat and the, and, um, the cold that it might experience. And when planning that out, you wanna make sure that the right plants are in the right places, then you plant, you let it be, and then you come back to it. Okay, so the Shemitah year and Yovel, which we're not gonna really talk so much about Yovel, but the Shemitah year is really gonna take what Bernie just mentioned to an extreme. Because we're gonna be talking about six years of working your crops, right? We don't live in an agricultural society because we live in Los Angeles. So you might have a garden in your own home, but we're not living in a place where we're driving through fields or I have more if you need more over here. Um, driving through fields or seeing people work crops, but Michael and I were just in the Balkans, and when you're driving from place to place, often for hours at a time, you're seeing lots of different kinds of crops that have to be worked. Right? Very rarely, though of course it was a particular season, very rarely were there no people working the crops that we were seeing because they have to be tended to. But Shemitah is saying to us, just like we have Shabbat after six days of work, you should work your crops for six days and then you should let it rest for the seventh. So unfortunately, because of the live stream, I'm gonna do all the reading of the texts, but I'm gonna ask you all questions um, in between. So I'm sorry they're not gonna call on you to read. So Leviticus chapter 25 verse three says, So six years you are going to sow your field six years you're going to prune your vineyard. If you don't know what sow and prune mean, that's okay. Work these, these fields, do things to them to allow the food to grow. Uh, and you're going to gather in the yield. Now the word asaf comes actually from what other root that you all know? Any idea? Not sof, though you have the word sof in it, you're right. Yosef, right? The guy, Yosef, which means additional or means some kind of coming together, right? Le'esof means to gather. So what Rashbam says here is that it's the opposite of abandoning. What do you think that means? It seems kind of obvious, right? Rashbam is saying to us, the word gathering is the opposite of abandoning. What does that mean? Why tell us that? It has something to do with the claim on the place. The claim on the place? Yeah. Great. Yeah, the claim on the product. Great. Great. So the claim of the place or the claim of the product, right? That if you're gathering it, you have to do something with it, right? You can't just abandon it. You can't just gather it and say, this is mine, right? When you go to a farmer's market, people have gathered the avocados and now they're bringing them to... I don't know, Larchmont, and you're, and you're buying them in a farmer's market. That's my favorite farmer's market. Why else do you think they might be saying, yeah, Hannah? Well, the land is a part of our environment, and it needs a rest. Great, but so... 
Great, fabulous. So the gathering is doing something to actually help that product and help that land continue, even though you might think that in gathering it because you're taking the fruit away from the vine, so to speak, you are somehow abandoning it. But actually, you need to give it space to then grow other products. Okay. I'm going to just keep reading in the English for us to keep going. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Shabbat of complete rest. We know this from our own week, right? Six days of work and then the seventh day you rest. Six days, six years, sorry, of work of your fields, seventh, day, seventh year you rest. A Shabbat to God, a Shabbat Ladonai, for God, to God, of God, it says here, which I actually don't think is a good translation. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Okay, so during Shabbat, similar to Shabbat of a week, you're not supposed to do work. What might you guess happens on that Shabbat during that Shemitah year? Not for question. You might be hungry, right? Because the produce might not be good anymore if you're not able to, to work the field. What happens to the fields? They get overgrown, right? And that could cause, we would think, that could cause it to go bad. Right, the fields to go bad, or somehow just get completely overrun and be unmanageable for the next year. What else could potentially happen? Bugs. Bugs, okay, that's part of the overgrowth, right? What else? Vermin. Okay, so any kind of animals could happen? Someone else can swoop in. Yeah, someone else could swoop in and say, hey, you know, doesn't look like anybody's really taking care of this. I'm gonna take care of it. Right, so there's always, in all of these different examples that we gave at the beginning, maybe not the cooking because it's probably happening in your own kitchen, but, but you could have a partner who comes along and decides that they need to add their own seasoning, so it could happen in your kitchen. Um, there is this idea that when you leave something alone, that you are abandoning it, right? That you are somehow, in Hebrew we call that yeyush, you're making it someone else's, it's no longer yours. But what our rabbis are going to explain to us a little bit more is exactly what I think Rashbam was getting to, maybe a little bit too uh, prematurely in the, sent in the verses here, but it's not abandoning it. It's just allowing it to be, right? It's allowing it to live itself and do its own thing, but that's not abandoning. It might look like abandoning from the outside, but it's just allowing for growth. It's allowing for a breath of fresh air. Okay. Uh, you shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. So even though you might think, oh, that's starting to look a little unruly or it might not be good for the plants. Nope, don't touch it. Do not touch it. It is not yours to touch. Do not touch it. But you may eat whatever the land during sh that, that Shemitah year will produce. You, your male and female slaves, the hired and bound laborers who live with you. Okay. So this isn't saying to pick it, but like if it, uh, we'll get into this in a little bit, but it's saying like if something falls on the ground or if it could be picked up by someone else without working it, you too can, can eat from it. When you live in Israel during a Shemitah year, which you did and which I did, did you also? Ah, very good. So all the rabbinical students and rabbis in the room um, lived in Israel during a Shemitah year. It is on the one hand, very kind of produce filled in the beginning because they want to make sure that before Rosh Hashanah, all of the crops have been harvested, the candy can have been harvested and the produce is great until around like January. 
And then it gets to be not so great. And you start seeing signs everywhere of what has been um, taken care of with the laws of Shemitah and what has not been. Interestingly, obviously in Israel, there are people who are not Jewish who still live in the land of Israel. And by the way, if I didn't mention this before, this is a mitzvah that is only for the land of Israel. So even though last year was a Shemitah year for us, and we did some work with our green team around what does it mean to live in a Shemitah year not in the land of Israel, the prohibitions around working your land are not for people living in Idaho, but for people only living in the land of Israel. Right, so even if you're a Jew working the ground in Idaho, you still can, can work your land um, uh, in, outside of um, diaspora. That's what I was looking for. In the diaspora outside of Israel. Okay? So when you live in Israel and you've never experienced that before, the type of produce really does change. And you have to think about what do the people who are not Jewish have to deal with when it comes to working the land in Israel because they're living on the land. Yeah. What about the Zionist pioneers who were not religious and they were actually creating the swamps and bringing the land to life? Were they following that? So I have no idea in the year 1948 if it was a Shemitah year. I would have to do a lot of math. Oh, you're not talking about. So, so my guess is that there were people who were saying whether or not the land could be worked. Um, just like today, I mean, there are tons of people who are Jewish who live in Israel who are not religious Jews. Um, and today there's obviously a workaround, which there might have been back then as well, that you have someone who's not Jewish by your land so that the land can still be worked, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the idea of, of that happening in Israel uh, has been since the time of Leviticus. So my guess is that even if it was a secular person, that they knew of the rules or they were being told of the rules um, in order to, to, to deal with the land. However, in terms of swamps, it would be okay, right? So if they really were dealing with swamp land that didn't have to do with produce, you can still clean up you know, after rainfall. <laughs> um, you can still make your land look nice. You just can't do it for the betterment of produce. So that, that was probably a caveat as well. But very interesting question. So Sforno comes in and he says, what is a Shabbat Shabbaton It's What does it mean that our land is going to have a Shabbat? Right? We understand what it means for our people to have Shabbat. We need it. But what does it mean that the land needs it? And he says, you have to refrain totally from working the land, including preparatory work. So not only can you, work, can you not work the land to gain fruit from it, but you also can't prepare the land for the next year when you are going to be able to work it, right? So you can't put down fertilizer. You can't do anything that's going to keep the, the land rich and, um, and healthy, even though you might think that that's the right thing to do. By the way, for those of us who compost, which in many places in LA, if not all now, I don't know how it's been rolled out, you are able to compost. Um, you know that even without working the land, if it's being not treated, but if it's being um, enriched, fueled, satiated um, by certain elements, even without you touching it, it actually is maintaining a healthy environment to then be, um, to then be planted in. So this doesn't kill the land, right? It allows the land to just have some rest, which again, as we've now said a bunch of times, we, we all need and so does our, so does our earth. Sforna then goes on to say, 
what is what does it mean then that it's a Shabbat Ladonai? Right? We understand the land might need the Shabbat, but what does it mean that it's for God? So I, I think this is really funny. First of all, I think it's hysterical that it brings up golf. I don't know who did the, um, who did the translation here, but it doesn't say that in the Hebrew. Um, but it's just funny. It says, to seek out the Lord in some manner, not to use the year to play golf. So what I think whoever wrote this translation um, is getting at is this idea that when you let something go, you should use that year to do something else, right? So as Ari was pointing out in terms of a creative process, right, you might leave a book aside or you might leave a piece of art aside to go and then do something else because when you come back to it, you're different, the thing is different, you have a new idea of what it could be and you're able to come back to it renewed and able to then potentially even do better for it. Did you have your hand up, Joy? Yes. I was going to say about the previous thing about refraining working the land, that there's a connection to how we don't prepare after the problem, still is Shabbat, same kind of thing. We don't, sorry? We don't prepare for after the problem, still, while still is Shabbat. Correct. Kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing, you're right, except for that has to do with the Messiah. <laughs> but, but you're, yes, 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 for sure. So what Joey's pointed out is that during Shabbat, you're not supposed to prepare for after Shabbat because the Mashiach might come this Shabbat, in which case Shabbat would never end. So you're not supposed to pack, for example, for a trip that you're going on on Sunday, on Saturday, because Sunday might never come. Um, it probably will tomorrow, but... Yeah. Sorry, that's why I drew that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good connection. So it's interesting to think about what this break would be, right? When we think about taking a break from something, this idea that it's for the thing, right? Whether that's for you, for the soup, for the art project, whatever it is, it's for that thing to continue to grow. Not to get worse, but to continue to grow. For those of you who used to watch Friends or still watch Friends, there's a very famous common theme that goes throughout that Rachel and Ross, who, spoiler alert, and are together and not together and together and not together for as many seasons as there are episodes, um, and they go on a break, right? And it's this constant joke that keeps on coming back and forth, like what does it mean to be on a break? But when you talk about going on a break, even in a relationship like this fictitious one in the show Friends, you are talking about this idea of growing yourself or getting a better understanding of what's going on in the world, in your relationship with another person, with yourself, to be able to come back to it renewed, right? And sometimes you don't come back to it, and sometimes you do, and you're different and you've grown. So it's similar to that soup, right, that you might leave and then come back to it and taste it and recognize you didn't prepare everything you needed for it to sit and become the soup that you wanted it to. Yeah, Rick. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> yes. He wrote absence, he said, he wrote, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and then he said, sometimes. <laughs> um, in terms of our land, what we know about the land, similar to what we know about ourselves for Shabbat, is that when you work really, really, really hard, you need to let go. Right? You need to just let things be to be able to discover new parts of yourself. Swarno is saying to discover your connection to God in a way that you might be distracted by if you're doing a lot of other things in your world. Okay, Ibn Ezra says, it should be a year of solemn rest. Just like we think of Shabbat, it should be a time of rest. Um, Ibn Ezra then continues to say that this Shabbat 
Shabbat for produce, vehaita Shabbat la'aretz, and it's going to be a Shabbat for the land, refers to all that the land brought out by itself. Right, so not just the things that you like, right? There's many, um, uh, what do they call when you get a box of food? Um, CSA. CSA, thank you. Um, I'm glad that if I just like mime my way up here, you all can help me. Um, there are many CSAs now that, that actually deliver food that doesn't look as good as the food that you might get in the grocery store. That's exactly what it's saying, what Ibn Ezra is saying here. It's not just about the food that you might be happy to have, right? Or, or the flowers that look beautiful, but it's also those things that are just produced because they're produced, like weeds or fruit that gets bruised, etc., etc. Turn the page over. I realize there were no page numbers, so hopefully you're now also on the right page. So in, it continues in Leviticus, the land shall yield its fruit and you shall eat your fill and you shall live upon it in security. And should you ask, what are we to eat in the seventh year? Similar to a question that we had in this side of the room, I just don't remember who it was. If we may neither sow nor gather in our crops, and then God says, I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it shall yield a crop sufficient for three years. Now, God promises that the sixth year is going to be abundant in fruit and that it's going to be great so that we have fruit for the, for the next few years. I will just say, having lived through a Shemitah year, God doesn't always fulfill that promise. But I do think that the produce that comes out of a Shemitah year, like the produce that you end up getting really like two years later is really good because you've let that land just do its own thing without working it constantly. And so I'm not sure that this promise makes um, realistic sense in our world today. However, the idea of letting it be then does give you very good produce after, right? And then it's a cycle because it's after or before the next Shemitah year. Throughout the land that you hold, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Okay. So what, what this is, really we could have just looked at this verse, right? Because what the Torah is telling us is that it's not even about the fruit, right? It's about the land, that if you have land, if you have possession of land, you need to give it time to just be and not work it. It's the same reason that on Shabbat, it's not just Shabbat for me and you, it's also Shabbat back in the day, for our slaves and for our animals. Because those who work for us also deserve to just have time to rest. Our land works for us. We work it, but it gives us something back because we work it. So it deserves to just have time to be. Think about kids. You raise kids, Rick kind of gave this example. You raise kids and then at a certain point you just need to let them be. Right, you need to let them experience certain things without holding them. Right, you need to let them see what it's like for trial and error. You need to not keep them from getting every skinned knee. Right, because that's how they learn. And that's also how our land learns to grow and to help itself and not always be looking out for us. It's also how we learn on Shabbat to be with ourselves in a world where that is very difficult. It's very difficult to just be with ourselves, and sometimes I would say, scary, right? It's sometimes scary to take away all the schmutz and just look at you and look inwardly and be able to work on yourself. Two final things. Going back in our Torah 
to the book of Shemot. There's a passage that says, and he took the book of the covenant, Moshe, and read in the ears of the people, right? He reads the, the breach into the, into the ears of the people, literally, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will obey. Na'asev and Ishma. There's this midrash that I thought was fascinating that says, the verse doesn't mention which breach Moshe then says to the people, right? There's a lot of britot that we get in our Torah. What is it that Moshe actually says to the people? It seems to be very specific. And Rabbi Yishmael says, the portions regarding Shemitah and Yovel, the blessings and the curses, which is what I talked about before we read the Torah. It's interesting to talk about Shemitah and Yovel because we would think like, okay, yeah, we, we'll, we'll do this thing. We'll let our land lie fallow, but... Is that really more important than love your neighbor as yourself or do not murder or, you know, why that? And, well, first of all, does anybody have an idea why that before I share with you mine? Why, why is that the covenant that Moshe chooses to share with the people? To let your land lie fallow. Yeah. Maybe because he's reading to people that just came out of slavery and this would be like something attractive ah. to people who are slaves that they Beautiful. So Danielle mentioned that maybe it's because he's talking to a bunch of people that have gone through slavery and for them to hear that not only do they, but also the land that they would probably be the ones helping to work gets to have some kind of rest. How beautiful of a gift for them to recognize that Moshe knows that that would be something that they would find comfort in and that they would be blessed to have. It's a really, really beautiful connection. Yeah, Ben. So coming out of the wandering in the desert, there, there's this potential that they're not going to have as much trust in God. They're further and further away mm. from the experience at Sinai. Mm -hmm. And so Shemitah is another reminder of God being there for you, even mm. when you may not see God there. Nice. So Ben's mentioning that the further we get from the receiving of Torah at Sinai and being in relationship with God in a personal way, the harder it is for us to remember that God is with us at all times. And so this is a way for us to recognize that God is with us. God is taking care of us, even in the land that we are um, feeding ourselves off of, even when we can't feel God or see God, that this is a way for us to remember that God is with us. Beautiful. Any other thoughts? Yeah. So, um, if you'll close, so a, a couple of things. So it's, um, I, I learned this from Rabbi Yashevich, I don't know if you know. I do. We, we, we met, so there was a discussion back and forth between the Shabbat and God. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, he got, I would say got frustrated, but finally, he finally to us and said, give it a rest. Hmm. Give your stuff around, give your sons around, give your neighbors around, and spend that time. Even though you're not in, in areas of Israel, you're here mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. So the, the primary lesson was give it a rest. Mm -hmm. Which is why you give it a rest today, mm -hmm. but also during your sweet that The other interesting part of the discussion was while sweet that is a mitzvah, but there's Mm-hmm. 
Great. Great. So Morse was talking about the, this idea in general that we should just be giving things a rest, right? No matter where it is, whether it's in Israel or in Idaho, that everything needs to be given a rest. And so we should be thinking about the ways in which we are doing that for ourselves, for our land, whether in Israel or in the diaspora. So the, do you guys have something you want to share? I wanted to say that yeah. it gives a, a chance for other cultures to market their products, you know, who aren't observing. Oh, that's nice. Right, then maybe we're thinking about those who are not observing the Shemitah to be able to enhance their, their products. That's really nice. That's a very nice global way of thinking about this. Um, <laughs> The reason that I think that this is what Moshe shares with the people is because it connects us to the land, right? It makes us remember that we know that we're supposed to keep Shabbat, but so too we should think outside of ourselves. We shouldn't just be thinking about us. We should be thinking about the things that we use and the things that we gain life literally from, including the land. And so it was important for Moshe, I think similar to coming out of slavery when rightfully so, a lot of survival was very selfish, that this was something that was communal and also connecting to all that we experienced, not just ourselves, but those things that are also outside of ourselves and giving the same benefit. The last word I want to give to this rabbi at the bottom of our page, Rabbi Cardin, um, who I do not know, but I loved this passage that she wrote. And I just want to say that I think there is... There is beauty in taking space, right? There is beauty in having space for ourselves, for the work that we do, for our creative processes, for our land, for our week, right? That's why I think those of us who keep Shabbat uh, in a way that keeps out all of the schmutz, so to speak, from our, from our week, really do feel that relaxation when we go into the next, to, into the next week. But taking a break is really important because you learn about yourself. In this case, we learn about our land. We learn what it means to be able to just be, as she's going to say in a second, just enough, right? That we ourselves, our land itself can just be enough even without the extraneous forces of our lives. So what she says is, Shemitah is not a call to live for one year with different rules that help us adjust or compensate for the unequitable accumulation of debt or dissatisfaction and injustices of the other six years, only to dump us back unchanged into that, quote, real world. Shemitah is a rehearsal of a new way, a time of, to practice living in a world of enoughness, where each of us is filled and flourishes with enough, where disproportionate inequities would not and could not exist. And when Shemitah is over and we re-enter the other six years, we take a bit of what we learned with us and put it into practice in our everyday life. That is our frame for the story of Shemitah, a taste and a test of a world of sova, of satiation, Enough, in which we all pursue material and spiritual fulfillment, not through lowering our sights or desires, but through filling them rightly with and through the presence of each other. So I hope that you each on this Shabbat have the opportunity to tap into what does it mean for you to be enough to yourself, to your partner, to your families, to your work. 
and to also figure out a way in which we can just let things be. We can just let things go. Don't sweat the small stuff. Leave some things aside and let them grow because then when you come back to them, they might be greater than you could have ever expected. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.